0: Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACEs Aware. Together we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy a healthier and more fulfilling life.
1: Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B. Where we explore human resiliency
0: and learn how people thrive even after adversity.
1: We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's
2: episode. Here's Dr. B.
1: Hey everyone,
2: it's Seth Creekmore, co-host here on Delusional Optimism. This is the second part of our Q&A episodes. If you haven't listened to the first one, make sure to head on over there and uh, listen to it. It was a phenomenal conversation. Dr. B brought some really great information and wisdom. So make sure to check out that first part. Uh, The second part is going to be equally as great. I thoroughly enjoyed being a part of it. So as always, if you're interested in furthering this conversation, feel free to reach out to Dr. B at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you'd like to know more about her, you can visit her website at drbconnections.com. Let's get into the episode. So switching uh, streams just a little bit, we have a question from Kevin Smith and it reads, is there a disparity between white and ethnic populations regarding ACEs scores?
1: We know from from researching different high risk populations or marginalized communities, that they are impacted with more adverse childhood experiences because of systemic racism or discrimination against their particular group, which then limits their access to the resources that we have in our world and community. Mm. So that's that's how I want to answer that in terms of, I don't want to say that, oh, because you're part of one ethnic group or because you're part of the LGBT community, mm. you're you're more messed up, you know, that would be wrong. That would be completely wrong to say, imply, and it's just flat out not true. Mm -hmm. However, there is disparity in different marginalized communities and communities that are discriminated against systemically because of the lack of access and the inability to be included and to get resources. Mm-hmm. So, we have to really pay attention to that and become aware of our own gender, ethnic, racial, LGBTQ biases that are so implicit in us. Some of them are highly explicit. We've been seeing that. Like, there's mm-hmm. no joke about it. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but there's also implicit bias. And and so we have to make sure that we're digging deep and honestly about that and not be afraid that if somebody gets something that we already have, it doesn't minimize what we already have. It's just giving them something they don't have. So that's, that's really important. People always feel like if we give something to a particular group that it's taking something from us or, quote, our group. That's not true. You can give something to another group and it just includes them in that resource. It doesn't take anything from anybody else.
2: It's very much a scarcity mindset.
1: Scarcity mindset. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: What I'm saying is that it's not a racial difference. It's okay. a disparity difference. It's a difference in access. So if a community okay. has less access, higher poverty, more gun violence, and it happens to be in a neighborhood that's predominantly African-American, mm-hmm. then it's going to look like, oh, African-Americans have higher A scores. Okay. M- yes, maybe they do. Why is that? Because they're an oppressed community. Not okay. because of it's not an implicit part of the African American community. It's about the oppression put onto the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or or and that and that is the sa- the same thing is true for other marginalized communities. I just chose that as an example, but the LGBT right. community as well, or you know, migrant farm workers or immigration families who you know are First generation citizens or Mm -hmm. and there are way smarter people than me to talk to the to the point of, you know, racial disparity and differences. Mm -hmm. So I mean I I I understand the topic, but I'm certainly not the expert in all the details of those differences. But I do know that when they get pulled apart, that it comes down to It comes down to access and inclusion and resources. All
2: right, our next question comes from
0: Barry. Hey, Dr. B. This is Barry. I'm a drug treatment counselor at a federal prison, and my question is, does trauma in early childhood cause resistance towards authority figures?
1: Yeah, great question, Barry. Does trauma in early childhood cause resistance towards authority? That's absolutely possible and a consequence of early childhood trauma. If you think about the experience in early childhood, if it's if if abuse is asserted on a child, an authority figure, then internally we're gonna say to ourselves, I hate authority. I don't like authority. Authority is bad. And whether that goes the younger the child, the less conscious that messaging is. So if it's deeper and it's not in our rational mind, it's in our unconscious mind or our feeling body mind, then we have this unknown, unidentified resistance to authority because of that experience. And it carries over into every authority relationship we have in our lives, and especially in a prison system where, guess what? It's just almost like a re- repetition of the parent-child relationship that was potentially mm. abusive. Yeah. So, there's all, it, we, we also call those ghosts, ghosts from childhood or ghosts from the past. So, where the relationship trauma in, in childhood gets carried over and perpetuated in all future relationships, especially mm-hmm. the ones that are similar. So that's a ghost and we need to recognize where our ghosts are and come to terms with our ghosts. So we don't we don't carry them into all of our other relationships. There's a saying about your earliest relationships will set the stage for all future relationships. If you have a loving early childhood relationship, likely you can you'll be able to carry that over into your adult relationships. If you have an abusive, chaotic, completely violent or scary, depressing early childhood, guess what? You're going to attract that and you're going to live that out in your adult relationships until you have an opportunity to heal. So there's an episode called Don't Feed Into the Trauma Cycle, and it's about intergenerational trauma where we talk about ghosts versus remnants from the past and and the difference between the two are that ghosts from early childhood really are about relationship conflicts that we had in early childhood and then we carry them those conflicts over into later relationships those are ghosts we're repeating those past Relationship conflicts into a different relationship where it Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily need to be. Now, a remnant trauma is where we experience somebody actually experiences a traumatic event, a terrifying, terrorizing event, and that fear gets carried over you know, that becomes part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And that's a remnant of the past. It's like carrying a, a a piece of the past with you as an experience that you had versus carrying with you sort of a message you got, but you mm-hmm. keep reciting the message in every single situation, whether it applies or not. Yeah, It's not, doesn't always work in every relationship. So, that's where we have a lot of room to work with those ghosts mm-hmm. and re- writing our story and our narrative. Right.
2: And, and relating it back to our, the relationship with authorities. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's not just inmates that have difficult time with authorities. I, I was right. reading a book the other day and, he, and uh, he was saying something along the lines of we talk about our government but we wish we could say to our parents. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like we just it's, we just put all of our parental yes. trauma onto government or, or another authority, a church leader, or yep. or whatever. And uh, when it's when right. it's really something much much closer to home, much closer. Yes,
1: to home. absolutely. Yeah. And if we think about it like that, yeah, we re- react to the government as if they're our parent, mm-hmm. and yet as full blown grown up adults, we are the government. <laughs> we get to decide. So, really, yeah. if we stop and think about it, you know, and we took responsibility and take responsibility for our full adulthood. So, when we find ourselves shouting at the government or shouting at somebody who is an, an authority figure... Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's relevant. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that there are not times where it is absolutely appropriate to say, whoa, you are completely out of line. Mm -hmm. However, if you find yourself shouting like a teenager at the TV or a teenager at the, you know, whoever, authority figure, and you might wonder, huh, maybe this is is a ghost from the past that I Mm -hmm. need to revisit and then own my adulthood around. How do I feel about it? And what do I really want my message to be? Because this right. message sounds like a teenager.
2: Right. And both of those things can be equally true at the same time. It can both be a, a just, wonderful, loving response, even if it's coming across as aggressive and angry. But there's also just, there's that tiny child inside of you that's just like responding out of fear and, yeah. and, and trying to get something that we think we don't have.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, responding out of fear is such a uh, mm. common, uh, you know, common way of being. Mm-hmm. And having done my Enneagram kind of on a little <laughs> micro level, and knowing that I'm a fear-driven seven, you know, I always think my initial thought to everything is good, bad, totally neutral. Fear, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, then I have to say, oh, wait, wait, okay, you're okay, like, you're safe, you're fine, yep. now what do yeah. I want to do? Now what do I want to do with this information, good, mm-hmm. bad, or neutral? But knowing that about myself, that I have, that I am driven at some level by fear, and we've talked about the fear and, excit- you know, mm-hmm. I call it, <laughs> anxiety, you call yeah. it, terror,
2: Terrified,
1: terrified. <laughs> yes. So excited versus anxiety, and anxiety mm-hmm. combined, or terrified versus excited. You know, they live in the same part of the brain. They're best friends. They hang mm-hmm. out all the time. So you got to go. Oh yeah, that was so great. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it just right. is a thing. And yeah, and knowing that literally gives us permission to be real about it. And then Mm -hmm. to say to somebody that loves us or that we love, I'm feeling so excited and I am so scared. Can you just Mm -hmm. hold me? Or can you just sit with me? And, you know, then we can learn how to ask for what we need when we're in a situation that brings out our fear, Mm -hmm. even when it's a good fear. Because those of us who are driven like that, that I'm learning even more about, is that it's just our go-to right. and, and it's, it's not going to change. That's not going to mm-hmm. change. So I just have to learn how to own it and ride that wave right. instead of push back against it.
2: Yeah. So, Learning that that emotion needs to be in the back seat instead of in the driver's seat. It,
1: right. can,
2: it can tell you about different things. It can, it can inform you on a lot of different levels. But if it's, it has control of the steering wheel, it's just not going to go well. No. Um, if I can bring Enneagram into this, just just sure. just a tad, but it's not like the uh, only a certain, uh, only three numbers experience just fear, or three numbers only f- experience anger or or sadness. It's oftentimes the the emotion that we are most familiar with. We will convert, like anger, is yeah. is an uncomfortable emotion for a lot of people, and so it'll often get converted into sadness or into fear yes. or, or joy on some level, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like happiness. And to, you obviously have enough self-awareness and tools to be like, to just pause, to give it a second to like what's underneath the thing, underneath the thing, underneath the thing, underneath the thing. And yeah. that's when we can actually get to something that is a little bit more grounded in our adult self instead of our child self.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 I love that. That's so good. And I often say too, you know, mad and sad are best friends. Mm, like yes. when you when you jump out at somebody because you're so mad, it probably when you go on to pause, mm. it's like, oh my gosh, my feelings were so hurt, and I'm actually sad. Yeah, it's not like they they don't live in isolation; they live together, and so we have that, and then we go cry, and. Yeah. I, I think I saw this, I do a lot of stuff around micro emotions and, you know, mm-hmm. universal emotions. And so, when you recognize you, there are seven universal emotions, and I always struggle with identifying surprise. And hmm. it's so interesting because I, I don't like surprises. Why? They scare me. <laughs> so, it's this whole, like, I've done this whole thing with myself around, oh my goodness, like, I can see fear, I can see contempt, I can see happy, sad, mad. Mm-hmm. What's that one I'm missing? What's that one again? Well, the one that always is, like, elusively out there is surprise. Yeah. And why is it always the one that I, like, leave off the list? Because it feels scary to me. Unpredictable. And that, yeah. that's probably a ghost, you know? And I'm sure it's a ghost. I don't really sure. know exactly where the ghost where that came from, but I don't like people to jump out and say boo. Like that <laughs> some people think that's funny watching that on, you know, America's funniest home video. I just think right. it's it's wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have big feelings about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of funny, but when you break your stuff down to that level, mm-hmm. Which one of those micro emotions is the one that's hardest for you to find? Mm-hmm. That's probably the one that you are, you know, you have some ghosts okay. around.
2: And that, I think that's so useful. Even how we engage our relationships, how we engage politics even is like the thing that's just like, oh, no, that's just wrong. It's like, <laughs> yeah, there are things that are just wrong for sure. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, it's something to just be curious about and question like, is that just my experience or is that right. something objectively horrific and something that needs to be changed?
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Because we we live in the, the brain of confirmation bias. So <laughs> yes. all we've ever done in our whole lives is just like suck up the things that confirm our own mm-hmm. reality and what we want mm-hmm. to be true. So, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, we've all, like, created our own little slushy world of my, <laughs> I'm right. And the truth is that, yeah, when you have to force in the other facts, it kind of messes up our snow cone.
2: Yeah. So nobody we, likes a messy snow cone.
1: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, but naturally, yeah. like, in order to feel safe, we like to have confirmation. So, Mm -hmm. we find it, we put it in its slot and we close the door and we're like, okay, I'm done. That's good. I I Mm -hmm. can live with that. And and the same thing with uncertainty. Like, we would rather have bad news or pain than just not know. Sitting in uncertainty is so hard for people. Mm -hmm. When you know that, then you can say, oh yeah, Sometimes uncertainty is worth the wait, but our natural instinct is to say, no, I'd rather have you just like, you know, punch me, get it over with cuz mm. then I'm then I know what's happening and it's over and I have a slot for that in my brain. Mm. Yeah. Instead of, oh, you might come up and scare me and punch me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that
1: would be horrible. <laughs>
2: yeah. What how would you how would you describe so like I understand what you, what you're saying about in that situation. I've had personal experiences and I know people that have experiences where it almost is the opposite. Like almost sometimes I'd rather just not know mm. because then it's some level of control. I can control yeah. as long as I don't know that they don't like me. Then oh. I can I can still keep some level I, I'm not it's not confirmed okay. that I okay. yeah. Does that yeah. make sense?
1: It does. It's a denial. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, you can say that.
1: <laughs> it's pretty much like the way we just say, oh, yeah, I just don't want to know that. I'm mm-hmm. not ready to know that. Even though all the bells and whistles are going off, the alarms are saying, yep, yeah, you're right. That's right. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I'm not right. Like, nope.
0: Yeah,
1: You know, it's it's the, the until you're ready... Mm-hmm. to actually deal with whatever the relationship is or the experience is that our brain protects us in service of survival and allows us to be capable of denying what's mm-hmm. right there what's mm-hmm. all spinning around in front of us yeah and yeah. so then all of a sudden we say oh my gosh how did i ignore that for 5 years right <laughs> well I wasn't ready. Yeah. I needed to not know. I didn't and that's have the... Okay. And that's okay. Yeah. I wasn't ready. I wasn't in a place. I didn't have the resources. Whatever it is, it's mm-hmm. all okay. I couldn't know until mm-hmm. the time yeah. that I did know.
2: Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, so our next question is from someone that I, I, I think you might be familiar with, Dr. B.
1: My name is Lisa, and I'm an advocate for children in foster care. And I'm wondering, what should foster parents or resource parents know about ACEs, especially around LGBTQ kids that are coming from group homes or other environments? But what, what would be a great thing to for a foster family to know about ACEs? Oh, that's a great question. And yes, I do recognize that voice because that's (laughs) my wife. So, and she is an advocate for a court appointed, special advocate for foster youth in California. So she supports foster youth while they're in care. So she kind of is that main touch point, which is so important for kids. Mm -hmm. when they're away from their families, regardless of why. What is important for foster families to know about ACEs, especially with the LGBTQ youth population or child population? Well, one is that if they're going to be a foster parent and take a child into their home, they need to be aware of their feelings around the LGBTQ community period because right off the bat if a child comes into their home who identifies as something other than heterosexual then they need to be able to be a foster or a supportive parent to that child a substitute parent for that child Mm-hmm. while that child is in their care. I feel so strongly about this. We struggle with families taking in foster children with the idea that we're, they're the family who's perfect to change them into something else. Mm. And Ooh. that is not a thing. That's <laughs> so Not
2: advisable,
1: no. Not advisable <laughs> and highly unkind. Mm -hmm. It's unkind because the messaging behind that says, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I want you to be. Mm -hmm. And you don't matter because only what I think matters. And there's a woman named Dr. Love who wrote a book called, We Want to Do More Than Survive. And it's actually about racial disparity and inequity. However, it's relevant to all situations like this, and she uses a word that I, I mean, I love it, but it's painful. It's called spirit murdering, and oh, wow. it's a powerful word, and hmm. it's a gr- this is a, a great book if, you know, I want to plug this book, but spirit murdering is when you don't allow the spirit to live inside the child or the person and let them be who they are you're murdering their spirit whether they live around you or not hmm. they aren't living and it's it it really when she said that word for the first time i just kind of got tingles and thought hmm. this is this is not okay and it's not okay for anyone and we need to be aware of our impact on other people's spirit or soul or emotional body because actually that's more harmful in the long run than stabbing somebody with a knife or yeah. potentially even shooting them with a gun, you mm-hmm. know, in an un- non-deadly way, you know, mm-hmm. in the leg or something. Those kinds of wounds heal and they're visible and get addressed. The emotional yeah. wounds that people say, you know, everything about you is wrong and bad because you love somebody who's the same gender then gets wired in and and makes people feel like they don't matter and they can't matter if they're their whole self. So I would say to foster parents, if you're going to be a foster parent, you got to do your work. That's the first thing. And secondly the organizations and the systems that pay foster parents need to do their work Mm -hmm. because it's their job to be the overseers of substitute parents. And if they can't do that job, they should not be in that business. Yeah. So, And we all need to call that out because children, especially LGBTQ children, die of suicide at a rate that is not only skyrocketing right now, but it is so much higher than the general population of mm-hmm. children. So we, this is a life and death issue. Eight yeah. out of 10 transgender youth will attempt or complete suicide in their adolescence. So that number is just beyond... Yeah. Comprehensible.
2: So that is not okay.
1: No. And so, if a child is pulled from a home because their family can't deal with their sexual orientation or gender identity, and then they get placed with a substitute family who is just a replication of that, mm. how is that any different? We're better off leaving them with the family that has the relationship with them, rather than putting them with a new family who has the wow. same issues and don't have a relationship. That's
2: interesting. We're double, yeah. it's
1: dual trauma or multiple trauma. Right. So, when you huh. take a child, when you take a child from their parent, you are causing an adverse childhood experience. That mm-hmm. is one ace, period. So, if you're going to do that, you damn well better have a good reason and know what you're doing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just want to touch on something real quick. I've heard you talk about reverse engineering foster care. Can you speak a little bit on that and how that relates to ACEs?
1: We have a system of removing children from their families and placing them in foster or substitute care. And I think that systemically, we know that there's racism within the system and and there's discrimination within the system. And so that causes children of minority groups and marginalized communities to be removed at a higher rate than white children. So that right in and of itself speaks to implicit and explicit bias. But when we reverse engineer foster care, and I love saying reverse engineering, so maybe that's why, um, but reverse...
2: (laughs) Why? Wait, wait. Is this just like a phonetic thing? (laughs) I don't know.
1: I like saying... um, I just
2: like saying it. (laughs)
1: Reverse engineering. It sounds so um, cool. It's like, let's just flip foster care on its head. And I kind of want to flip a lot of systems on their head and reverse engineer them backwards So they do what they're supposed to do rather than what they actually do. So as foster care stands, it instantly causes an ACE. So right off the bat, you're in an abusive family. You need to be removed. We're going to create an institutionalized adverse childhood experience of one by removing you from your family. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. You still love your family. Now you've got another ACE. Reverse engineering is... If parents, back to intergenerational trauma, we just repeat cycles of trauma when we don't deal with them. Mm-hmm. So if if instead of taking a child and putting them into a substitute family, we take a professional parenting person, parent, and give them the job of living with the family with the children in the home... Mm-hmm. And we create foster parents who actually live with the whole family and work on the entire system and reorganize. I mean, this requires a higher level of, of training, experience, security even maybe. However, a lot of times when people act out violently towards children or others, it's because they're scared like a child. When we put an authority figure in a parent who's a professional parent into that home, parents want to be stable with their children. Nobody wants their children to be okay more than their parent, even the abusive parent. Mm-hmm. So, we ha- they, they abuse their children because it's what was done to them and it's because they're so terrified that what they did will then happen to their children or who they mm-hmm. became. So when we put an adult a reverse we reverse engineer it we throw the professional into the family hmm. and work on the family in the environment now we've created we've taken that ace off the table because we left the children with the relationships and we're putting somebody in there to help rewire at least untangle some of those complex problems that have been lived out generation after generation. And people I think are highly receptive to this, people would rather somebody come in and help them rather than have their children taken away. Right. right. So, we need to really look at a lot of things from that backwards, you know, reverse engineering model.
2: Yeah. It kind of reminds me on on somewhat of a personal level of taking just taking something out of context or just taking it getting getting rid of the problem instead of dealing with the problem. Yes. And even even just in our our medical system of like let's just cut it out versus yeah. like okay what's what's causing this whatever instead of dealing with your back pain let's just give you pain meds.
1: Right. Oh um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The the co- the symptom versus the root cause. Right. Right. So we 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 yeah, that's absolutely And it speaks so nicely to ACEs because the root causes are ACEs, Mm -hmm. adverse childhood experiences. And there aren't, just because the screening has 10, there's actually lots and lots and lots Mm -hmm. of things that fall into those categories that are traumatic, you know, that can fall into the definition of trauma that lead to the symptoms of pain, anxiety, depression, risky behavior that ends up in a car accident or jump off a you know ramp on a bike and get a concussion or all kinds of things that happen so yeah if we start if we're willing to take the time it comes down we are a fast moving country we need to slow it down and maybe this is one of the gems of covid is that it's telling us hey you're on your warp speed is over you need to slow down Spend some more time with your kids because at first you hated it, but now you kind of like it and you don't want to go back to work because you're going to miss your kids because you found out how kind of cool they are. Yeah. And you didn't, and you get more work done. And, you know, all these weird little things that have happened as a result of COVID that we at first panicked, fear, Mm -hmm. panicked about. And now we're kind of like, oh, you know what? I really, I want to keep that change. Sure. Mm -hmm. I miss my people. I miss going to work. I miss doing certain things, but there are other things that are, that we're learning because we've had an opportunity to settle down and slow down and feel about them. Right.
2: Right. Uh, Before, uh, before it got super cold up here in Indiana, um, I went on a bike ride with a friend and we were talking about, well, 2020 has a lot of emotions attached to it and how tempting it is, like it was in last year sometime, uh, going into the new year, how, how, how much we just want to like run into the new year and just forget yeah. about 2020, right? And uh, the, the analogy came into my head of, have you ever seen like, the people that like put a parachute like a, an athlete or something on attached to them and like they're running against the friction of the oh
1: of the okay. parachute yeah
2: and it's and it's it's so we constantly as a society are trying to clip that parachute off but that parachute is those are our emotions. that's our heart and it's like the harder you try to run away from it, the more drag it's gonna create and so. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive to be like, what if you took that parachute and you held it close?
1: I was just gonna say, what if yeah. you just wrapped it around you? Yeah, exactly. Then
2: there's no more drag, but why would I hold the thing that's holding me back?
1: Yeah. But yeah. that's the
2: very thing that we have to do.
1: That's That's I a feel like that's
2: what, you're, that's what you're speaking to.
1: Yeah, that's a yeah. beautiful image in my mind as I see that, like, you know, as you pulling it forward and wrapping yourself in the thing that feels like it's dragging you down can really help you propel forward mm-hmm. you know or at yeah. least not be at least not be held back
2: right yeah, yeah. and yeah. so
1: it makes you neutral yeah steady balanced grounded, grounded all yeah. the things that all yeah things. we're 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 looking for and awesome. and yeah people are so I have when I walk my dogs there's a neighbor who has this like 2020 stinks and something else and like <laughs> like four or five different really negative words mm. and i think okay 2020 was definitely a hard year but i feel like a lot of there have been a lot of insights about that have come out of 2020 and a lot mm-hmm. of gems i mean there a lot of things that i can put on a list that have happened for me personally and people around me that I think, wow, that couldn't have happened had we not had COVID. This podcast Mm -hmm. would not exist had it, I literally started Facebook Live on the day we sheltered in place for the first time, March 15th, and did 71 episodes. And then that sort of like, you know, rolled into something else and then became of the podcast. And so, Mm -hmm. had we not been in COVID, I never even would have thought about Oh, Mm. you need to help people with their emotions while they're stuck in their house, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. So interesting.
2: So as we're kind of closing up here, what a phenomenal journey of questions. And and thank you so much for for, for bringing your knowledge and expertise. It's been wonderful. But I, I wonder, is there anything, everyone has consumed a lot of information at this point. And there's there's much more to learn. Can't wait wait for this new series coming up. What's one thing that you think those who are listening, uh, whether they have Aces or know someone that is experiencing Aces, what's one very simple thing that they can do to um, to comfort themselves and to to take a step forward?
1: Oh, that's a great great question, and I love this. That this is my response to. Adverse childhood experiences are something that everybody has an experience with, whether it's themselves or somebody that they love. You are not going to get out of this life escaping adversity or adverse childhood experiences. However, you are not your A score. That's what I want to say. You are not your A score. You are just you, and yes. I am just me, and everybody else is just them. And so we have to be very diligent about not saying, I'm Kristen, I have an A score of five, and this is who I am, and so blah, blah, blah. We are our story of our lives, and we have to tell our story that incorporates and integrates all the parts of who we are and what we've experienced, And then we share that with the people that we love, and we learn their stories. And Mm -hmm. that's what makes a beautiful woven blanket that we don't hold back behind us, but we wrap up in and cuddle in and say, you know what? Yeah, some of those things were really hard, but Mm -hmm. guess what? Look it, we're here. It's good. Like, life is good. We're taking breaths. We're, we're, you know, we're still breathing. And there's so much inspiration in what people overcome than in what they suffer. People suffer a lot, but people also overcome a lot. So we have to give people the permission to not be their A score. You're, You're allowed to be who you are and it's not really your A score because so many other things play into that. That's not that simple, even though we've kind of pared it down right. to that.
2: That is the deep wisdom of delusional optimism.
1: Yeah. <laughs> thank that you. That is. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes, very much yeah. so. Dr. B, yeah. thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Seth. It's been great, great to have you as a co-host. I look forward to more time with you. and. Yes. You know, and everybody checking out Fathoms because it's (laughs) it's a great podcast and I've enjoyed listening to it. So and learning about the Enneagram. It really is very compatible with a lot of trauma and resilience science. So Yeah.
2: We'll have to we'll have to maybe do an episode on the Enneagram in the coming days for sure. That that I'm looking forward to that. So awesome. Well, talk to you later.
1: Okay. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B, it's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together again thanks so much for listening to delusional optimism now go leave a life print
0: thank you for listening to this special episode of delusional optimism brought to you by saint agnes medical center and every neighborhood partnership we hope you're encouraged by dr b's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self for more episodes in this special series please visit saint agnes medical center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at Truthwork Media. Truthwork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at TruthworkMedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.